We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 663 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, September 25th, 2023. It is Yom Kippur 2023. We wish an easy fast to all of those observing. Yom Kippur, a day of atonement. Washington has a whole lot of atoning to do for how it played in that home loss to Buffalo on Sunday afternoon. I mean, I can't believe what happened to Washington in its home loss to Buffalo on Sunday afternoon. The Capitals losing their preseason opener, a 4-3 shootout loss to the Buffalo Sabres at Capital One Arena on Sunday afternoon. What? Huh? What? Oh, that's not the Washington home game against Buffalo on Sunday afternoon that you thought that I was talking about? Oh, yeah, I guess there was that other game. Now, wasn't there? Hello and welcome to this Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Hey, at least the Dallas Cowboys lost. And to a team that the Commanders beat, the Cowboys fell to 2-1 and one with a 28-16 loss at the Cardinals on Sunday. What's wrong with them boys? Uh, but yes, <laughs> also losing on Sunday were the Commanders. The Manders, uh, they fell to 2-1 and one in this 2023 NFL regular season with a humiliating 37-3 loss to the Buffalo Bills at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. The Manders lost to the visiting Bills and the Camps lost to the visiting Sabres, albeit in an NHL preseason game. But boy, the city of Buffalo owned the city of Washington, D.C. on Sunday afternoon. For the second time in three seasons, a week three game for Washington against the Bills, hyped by Washington head coach Ron Rivera as a measuring stick game ended in a blowout loss. Uh, Maybe we ought to stop calling games measuring stick games. I don't know. Uh, There do not appear to have been any major injuries for the Commanders, unlike in the last game, the 35-33 win at the Denver Broncos in Week 2. Logan Thomas suffered a concussion. He was inactive for the game. 
against the Bills. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> beyond there not appearing to be any major injuries, not many positives for the Commanders on Sunday afternoon. What happened on Sunday afternoon was painful, was disappointing, was aggravating, but also was just one game. Coming up on the show, in-depth reaction to and analysis of what the heck went down for the Commanders against the Bills next segment. I will talk all about a hideous performance by our Commanders QB1, Sam Howell. Four interceptions, nine sacks taken. Uh, You will hear key comments from Sam and from Ron Rivera from their post-game press conferences on Sunday afternoon. I then will talk Commander's defense, which was not good, and I then will talk Commander's running backs, Brian Robinson Jr. and Antonio Gibson. Robinson was really good. Gibson had yet another lost fumble as the Commander's lost the turnover battle 5-1. Also on the show, I will discuss the American League leading Orioles, who are inching ever so closer to clinching the American League East. Their magic number to do so down to three off the O's over the weekend, concluding a four-game split at the Cleveland Guardians. The O's won the final two games of the series thanks to great outings from starting pitchers John Means and Kyle Gibson. I have a national segment for you. They, over the weekend, concluded losing three or four games to the Major League-leading Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park, but there were some bright spots, including starting pitcher Jackson Rutledge in just his third Major League regular season start, beating the Mighty Braves. Uh, And I will talk college football week four. No podcast or show covers the college football of the mid-Atlantic region like this podcast does. We'll give you breakdowns of Maryland's 31-9 win at Michigan State on Saturday. Virginia Tech's a 24-17 loss at Marshall on Saturday afternoon. And Virginia's 24-21 home loss to NC State on Friday night. And I'll hit on Liberty, James Madison, and Old Dominion. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of feedback on the commander's loss to the Bills. Tweet from Daniel. I bet that Josh is not proud of the boys today. Uh, thank you for that, Daniel. No, I bet that commander's managing partner, Josh Harris, is not proud of the boys, as our friend Nats manager, Davey Martinez, is proud of his boys. I'm proud of the boys. That's right, Davey. Thank you. Tweet from Zim. It's year four, and we're still blown out by any team with a quarterback. This staff needs to be blown out in the worst way. We're worlds away from competing for Super Bowls. This team is at its ceiling. Thank you for the tweet, Zim. Tweet from Brett Williams as a former big Ron Rivera apologist. I am sold. He has to go. He can be vice president over culture, (laughs) but he as a head coach has to go. Uh, Thank you for the tweet, Brett. Uh, Email from John in Jersey writes, John, great podcast, Al. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you for that, John. Continues, John. I keep hearing that Sam learns from his mistakes. He better start learning what a check down is. Better start learning to throw the ball away. Better start learning to get down when he's scrambling or we're all going to have a long season. I hear you, John. I do. Email from Stanley Evans, right? Stanley, I've yet to see a game in which we dominate in all three phases of the game like the Bills did to us on Sunday afternoon. This once again shows that we are not there yet. I get that Sam is essentially a rookie and the defense was probably gassed, but too many times our vaunted defensive line has gotten owned 
by mobile quarterbacks or the line has not dominated against elite teams like the line can against bad teams. Is this on Jack Del Rio? I'm disappointed, yes, but it is one game. Let's see how Sam Howell responds from his first true ugly performance. And hey, at least we aren't that team coached by Sean Payton. (laughs) Woof. Imagine being a Denver fan. Keep up the great pod, Goldie. Well, thank you for that, Stanley. Yeah, man. What happened on Sunday afternoon in Miami, in Miami, uh, was vile. That was the kind of thing that you usually need a password to watch. The Dolphins improved to 3-0 with a 70-20 win over the Sean Payton head coached Denver Broncos, who now are 0-3. 70-20. This was just the fourth time in the history of the NFL, regular season or postseason, that a team scored at least 70 points in a game. The Dolphins put up 726 total net yards of offense, the second most in a regular season game in NFL history. Uh, One of the most amazing performances by a team in NFL history, and the Dolphins head coach is Mike McDaniel, who was an offensive assistant for the Redskins for the 2011 through 2013 seasons, including being the Skins receivers coach for the 2013 season. Uh, Mike McDaniel has the Finns offense humming. Uh, Well, Mike McDaniel used to be a coach for the Skins. If you need work done (laughs) on your skin, contact the great Dr. George Burgess. Dr. Burgess is as good of a dermatologist as the 2023 Dolphins are on offense. Uh, Dr. George Burgess is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists, and he and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland provide excellent skin care. Whatever your dermatological needs may be, call 301-396-3401 and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Dr. George Verghese is a big fan of the Commanders. He's a loyal listener of this podcast, and he and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland focus on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. If you are dealing with allergic reactions, if you're dealing with acne, psoriasis, or eczema, if you're interested in procedures like Botox, laser hair removal, or chemical peels, if you are dealing with skin cancer or have dealt with skin cancer, or want to get screened for skin cancer, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Hey, Dr. Verghese and the Institute offer free skin cancer screenings in addition to offering advanced treatments for many skin cancers. And I mentioned Botox. New Botox is 25% off during this month of September. Call Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland at 301-396-3401. That's 301-396-3401. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you, but call 301-396-3401. You could also visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. For excellent and comprehensive skin care, contact Dr. George Burgess and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you.
Well, this episode of the podcast is from Monday, September 25th, 2023. It was on September 25th, 2014 that the Redskins lost to the New York Giants 45-14 at FedEx Field on Thursday night football. Do you remember that game? The skin starting quarterback for that game was Kirk Cousins, and he in that game was awful. <laughs> uh, Kirk in that game threw four interceptions. He, for the game, registered a total QBR per ESPN of 10. Yes, 10. QBR is on a scale of 0 to 100. All Kirkies total QBR for that game was a mere 10. But we know what ended up happening with Kirk, okay? And put aside how you feel about Kirk as a quarterback, all right? But Kirk Cousins from 2015 through 2017 was the Skins QB1, and he was especially good in the 2015 and 2016 seasons. He learned from that loss to the Giants. And while he in the 2014 season had other bad games after that loss to the Giants, his horrendous performance against the Giants by no means defined him as a Skins quarterback. This is the hope with Commander's quarterback Sam Howell. He in this 37-3 loss to the Buffalo Bills at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon was terrible, okay? Let's not sugarcoat things. Sam on Sunday afternoon was terrible. But Sam on Sunday afternoon was making just his fourth career NFL regular season start. He is a second-year quarterback. Progress for young NFL quarterbacks is not linear. Any notion that Sam should be benched off his performance against the Bills or that his performance against the Bills validates the idea that he's not going to make it as an NFL quarterback is ridiculous. Now, look, maybe he isn't going to make it as an NFL quarterback, but one bad performance does not determine that. This commander season, as much as anything, should be about the team finding out what it truly has in Sam Howell. You don't find out what you truly have in a quarterback by benching him or writing him off after one bad game, especially when he in the previous game, the 35-33 win at the Denver Broncos in week two, was really good. The Commanders have played a mere three of the team's 17 games in this 2023 NFL regular season. There is so much football left to be played. How Sam responds to what happened on Sunday afternoon is going to tell us a lot. Sam can, and I believe will, learn from what happened on Sunday afternoon. But make no mistake, what happened on Sunday afternoon <laughs> was really bad. You know, we over the last 30 years have seen a lot of bad games by a lot of Washington quarterbacks. This performance by Sam was one of the worst. Sam threw four interceptions, including a pick six. He took nine sacks. He over 29 pass attempts threw for just 170 yards. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 5.86. He quarterbacked a commander's offense that went just one of nine on third downs. Yeah, the commanders on Sunday afternoon had one third down conversion the entire game. Uh, Sam had no touchdown passes. The commanders as a team scored no touchdowns. Uh, this was Sam Howell during his postgame press conference on Sunday afternoon on his performance in this loss to the Bills. Yeah, it just got to be better. Um, you know, there's a lot of things, you know, obviously it starts with me and I got to 
take better care of the football um, and do a better job. Just you know, lead my offense. Um, obviously, a lot, a lot of things didn't go right today, and it, and it starts with me. Um, but you know, the good thing is the, the sun will come up tomorrow. Um, another opportunity to get better and go to work, and we have a lot of stuff we can get better at. Um, so we're we're excited to go back and get better. But we got to play better, um, and it starts with me. The sun will come out tomorrow. That has been confirmed. <laughs> uh, here was head coach Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon on Sam Howell. Well, I thought he handled some of the moments pretty well, and I thought there was other ones that he probably could have done something different. Well, we're going to get an opportunity to evaluate everything, evaluate what we're doing, make sure it's the right thing first and foremost, and then secondly, we'll evaluate how we thought the players did. All right, and this was Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon on if the Bills' defense doing so well against Sam Howell on Sunday afternoon was perhaps a function of a defense figuring out Sam in what was his fourth career NFL regular season start. I'm not sure if that's really what happened as much as that's a very good football team. That team's been in the AFC Championship probably, what, three out of the last four years. So it's a pretty good defensive unit that we played against today. And, you know, when we had opportunities to make plays, you got to make plays. you got to score points. That way they can't do certain things against you and kind of dictate yourself. We didn't do that. I mean, that falls directly on us more so than anything else. They played a heck of a football game. I'm giving them all the credit in the world. But... If we do some of the things that we're capable of, put some points on the board and we get a chance to, it's a different situation, set of circumstances. But I know that's all what if, but that's the truth of the matter from my perspective. So the combination of four interceptions and nine sacks taken really is something. You know, Carson Wentz in the commander's 24-8 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field in week three of last season took nine sacks, but he did not throw any interceptions. Uh, Kirk Cousins in that aforementioned 45-14 loss to the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Thursday night football in week four of the 2014 season threw four interceptions, but took just two sacks. Uh, John Beck in the Skins' infamous 23-0 loss to the Buffalo Bills in Toronto in week eight of the 2011 season uh, took 10 sacks, but he threw only two interceptions. What Sam Howell did on Sunday afternoon, throwing four interceptions and taking nine sacks was quite the double whammy. Uh, The rate at which Sam is taking sacks cannot continue. The sacks are not all on him, but a lot of the sacks are on him. You know, Sam over three games in this regular season has taken 19 sacks. The NFL record for most sacks taken by a quarterback in a single regular season is 76 by the Houston Texans' David Carr in 2002. Sam right now is on pace to take 108 sacks in this 2023 regular season. Think about that. Uh, This was Sam during his postgame press conference on Sunday afternoon on the sacks. Yeah, it was tough, um, especially when you get in a situation where you're down, down a few touchdowns at the end of the game, and you know they know they know we're in a passing situation. So it's kind of, you know, they have the advantage as far as the pass rush goes. But I mean, I just got to do I got to do a better job, and I think we can do we can do some things better and try to limit the sacks. But yeah, that's definitely something we need to clean up. And some more on the sacks. Consider this from Commanders Insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post. This in her piece on the game. Quote, multiple Bills defenders said Howell on film had shown a tendency to hold on to the ball too long, especially on third down. 
It's like every third down, they were holding the ball three seconds, and I feel like that's way too long, edge rusher Leonard Floyd said. With the guys we got up front, anything more than 2.5 seconds, and we are going to be having a party back there. Including Sunday's game, Howell has averaged 2.81 seconds on dropbacks this season, according to True Media. On third down, however, his average is 3.3 seconds, three of his four interceptions on Sunday were on third down, end quote. You know, what's funny about Sam Howell's performance in this loss to the Bills is that he began the game 3-3 for 36 yards. He actually started off well, and then everything fell apart. Take you to the commander's first offensive drive. Sam Howell began the drive 3-3 for 36 yards, but Then came three consecutive bad snaps. The sixth snap of the drive on a first and 10 for the Commanders at the Bills 25. Sam took a sack that was split by interior defensive lineman Ed Oliver and Daquan Jones for an eight-yard loss as Sam held onto the ball for too long. The seventh snap of the drive on a second and 18 for the Commanders at the Bills 33. Sam had nowhere to go on an RPO and took a sack by linebacker Terrell Bernard for a one-yard loss. The eighth snap of the drive on a third and 19 for the Commanders at the Bills 34. Sam on a shotgun pass threw across the middle to receiver Deami Brown and Terrell Bernard made a leaping interception. Sam took his third sack of the first quarter on the commander's second offensive drive, which resulted in a late first quarter three and out. The third snap of the drive on a third and nine for the commanders at their 21. Sam took a sack by Terrell Bernard for a 10-yard loss, although Sam on this play really had no chance. Bernard came in unblocked. Uh, Sam's second interception was really painful. Happened on the commander's fourth offensive drive. The third snap of the drive on a third and one for the commanders at their 34 with a minute 19 left in the second quarter. Sam out of the shotgun faced immediate pressure from edge defender A.J. Epinesa who came in unblocked and threw an interception to safety Micah Hyde who jumped in front of the target running back Antonio Gibson to make the pick. Sam missed on a flat route late and to the inside. That is a recipe for a pick and a pick is what we got. Uh, Sam's third interception was a red zone interception. The commander's sixth offensive drive. This was the opening drive of the second half. The 11th snap of the drive on a second and eight for the commanders at the Bills 15. Sam threw a shotgun pass that was intercepted by Bills corner Tredavious White in the end zone on a pass intended for receiver Curtis Samuel. Sam on the play took a shot from edge defender Shaq Lawson. Uh, Sam took sacks on back-to-back snaps on the commander's seventh offensive drive, which resulted in a third quarter putt. Third snap of the drive on a first and 10 for the commanders at their 38. Sam took a sack by edge defender Leonard Floyd for a one-yard loss in trying to scramble. Fourth snap of the drive on a second and 11 for the Commanders at their 37. Sam took a sack by Leonard Floyd for a six-yard loss as Floyd blew right by right tackle Andrew Wiley. And Sam had the atrocious fourth quarter pick six. The Commanders' ninth offensive drive, the third snap of the drive on a fourth quarter, third and five for the Commanders, at their 30. Sam had this horrendous pick six. He, in scrambling out of the shotgun, tried to throw the ball over A.J. Epinesa on a pass intended for receiver Jahan Dodson. The problem is that A.J. Epinesa is listed as being 6'6". He, in fact, in his younger years, played AAU basketball with the Boston Celtics' Jason Tatum. So A.J. Epinesa is tall. A.J. Epinesa has hops, and he made the pick 
and then generated a 32-yard return for the touchdown. Just brutal. Uh, Some more from Sam Howell during his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon. This on how to approach coming out of a game like this loss to the Bills. Yeah, I mean, I think the reality of it is, you know, you go back and you you watch the film, and you don't you don't just flush it. You know, you watch the film, you try to learn from it, because um, that's the only way that that you're going to get better. You can't just forget about it because um, it happened. Um, so we'll go back and, and be hard on ourselves. I'll be hard on myself, and I hold my I hold myself to a very high standard, and I didn't play to that standard today. Um, and so I'll look, I'll go back and watch the film and look at ways that I can play better. Now, in fairness to Sam Howell, he is under constant pressure. The Bills for this game finished with not just nine sacks, but also 15 quarterback hits. Like I said, not all of the sacks are on Sam, but I would say that the majority of the sacks have been on Sam. Him taking sacks was a problem in college and is proving to be a problem in the NFL. I actually, though, was glad to see Sam finish the game. Now, pulling him would not have been unreasonable, but a game like this lost to the Bills is a learning experience, a chance to grow. And so while I don't want Sam getting hurt, and look, he did continue to take sacks, the idea of him continuing to play, continuing to battle, trying to work through the struggles, to me, was not wrong. Uh, This was Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon on if he considered taking Sam out of the game, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Commander's Insider, Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. Well, you know, the, the, the thing you think about is, you know, do we take him out to protect him or do we leave him in so he can continue to, to, to learn and grow, you know? And, um, you know, we want to see him handle this. We want to see him do the things that he's capable of. And, you know, there's a certain point that probably – protect him probably would have been the next step. What's that discussion like? Is that something sitting or is that you talking to him? No, talk, it's me talking to Evie, you know, and, and seeing how he feels about what we're doing as well. I mean, this, you know, this has to be a, a collaborative decision, you know. Um, I thought, it, it, you know, when he started to move the ball on that last drive, you, you felt, okay, he's settling in a little bit. You know, he's still learning. He's still, he's a young guy and he's got to play. And that's really what it comes down to is him learning and growing and getting better. Yeah, and I thought that that was a perfectly reasonable, perfectly acceptable explanation by Ron Rivera for keeping Sam Howell in the game. Now, I do want to also address Commander's assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. Uh, I heaped a lot of praise on Eric Bieniemy on EB for his work in the win at the Broncos, and he deserved that praise. But look, when your offense does not score a single touchdown goes one of nine on third downs and allows the opposing team to finish with nine sacks and 15 quarterback hits, you take a lot of the blame for that. Eric Bieniemy did not do nearly a good enough job of scheming around the pressure that was being generated by the Bills. Way too few moving pockets for Sam Howell. Take it back to the commander's third offensive drive, which resulted in a second quarter turnover on downs as the commanders had a first and goal at the six and a third and goal at the one, but came away with no points. But the third snap of the drive, the second snap of the second quarter, first and 10 for the commanders at the Bills 33, Sam Howell had a nine yard shotgun sprint out completion to receiver Terry McLaurin. I love that play. Why didn't we see more of that? Why didn't we see more sprint out throws? by Sam in this game. Where were the screens to the running backs? All of this talk the previous seven days about the commander's improved screen game. 
Now, maybe screens were called and weren't executed well, uh, and so Sam didn't throw the passes, but where were the screens to backs? The drive that resulted in Sam Howell's third quarter interception to Tredavious White in the end zone. The sixth snap of the drive on a third and five for the commanders at their 31. Sam had a 10-yard shotgun completion to running back Antonio Gibson despite facing immediate pressure from Leonard Floyd, who came in unblocked. The screen worked beautifully. Why didn't we see more screens from the commanders on Sunday afternoon? I'm not tapping out on Sam Howell, not by a long shot. We in this game did see some good things, uh, not many, but some. Uh, That drive that resulted in the second quarter turnover on downs, the first snap of the drive, the final snap of the first quarter, first and 10 for the commanders at their 25. Sam threw a great deep ball on a 37-yard shotgun completion to Curtis Samuel. The fourth snap of the drive on a second and one for the commanders at the Bills 24. Sam had a great 18-yard shotgun scramble on which he spun away from pressure, made interior defensive lineman Jordan Phillips miss on an attempted tackle, and then did take a licking in being tackled to the ground. Yeah, Sam is taking a pounding right now. Well, I would imagine that uh, Sam on this Monday is a bit sore, maybe a bit down. Uh, Perhaps a great fireplace (laughs) would cheer him up. Uh, Sam should call Nova Fireplace and Stove. Uh, Nova Fireplace and Stove is outstanding. Uh, It handles gas fireplace sales, service, and installation, handles gas, electric, and wood stoves, and handles chimney cleaning and repair. If you live in Northern Virginia, stay warm and upgrade the feel and value of your home with Nova Fireplace and Stove. Call Nova Fireplace and Stove at 571-513-3803. Mention that Al Galdi sent you and receive $25 off any service or receive a free vent kit on any in-stock gas insert. Nova Fireplace and Stove, it has been around for more than 20 years. It is run by massive Commanders fans, and it has outstanding professionals. Whatever the work that you need done requires, Nova Fireplace and Stove has. Master gas fitter, master electrician, class A contractor, licensed chimney inspector. And because of this, Nova Fireplace and Stove can complete your project without the need for any subcontractors. And Nova Fireplace and Stove can pull all of the necessary county permits for the work that is being done. Additionally, Nova Fireplace and Stove can perform fireplace and chimney safety inspections. See for yourself the work that Nova Fireplace and Stove can do. It has a showroom in Woodbridge, Virginia, and has a terrific website, Nova fireplaceandstove.com and take advantage of the special deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Call Nova Fireplace and Stove at 571-513-3803. Mention that Al Galdi sent you and receive $25 off any service or receive a free vent kit on any in-stock gas insert. Join the Nova Fireplace and Stove family and experience the fireplace service and care that you deserve. Call 571-513-3803. That's 571-513-3803. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Thank you to all of you who have given this podcast a five-star rating and who have written nice reviews of the podcast. You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate 
the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated, and you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review does not have to be long. can be just a sentence or two, but the ratings and the reviews help us out a lot, so thank you very much for doing them. The Commanders 37-3 lost to the Buffalo Bills at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon was Washington's ninth loss in 10 regular season games against the Bills since the 37-24 win over the Bills at the Metrodome in Minneapolis in Super Bowl 26 in January 1992. Yeah, things for our team against the Bills have not gone so well since that glorious Sunday evening 31 years and eight months ago. Here was head coach Rod Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday afternoon on the importance of his team, which now in this regular season is a 2-1, and one, responding well to this blowout loss to the Bills. So exactly what I told him in there is just how are we going to react? How are we going to handle it? You know, that's that's what I'm looking for now. Now we got to find out just how tough we really are. You know, are we mentally tough? Are we physically tough enough to get through it? You know, when you're winning, it masks a lot of things. The, the, the bare truth is out there right now. We know exactly, based on the tape, what happened. And we'll be able to sit down and talk and get it corrected, I believe. I believe if we approach it the right way, we give ourselves an opportunity going forward. And uh, that's what we're going to find out. We're going to find out just how good we are, how tough we are. Yes, we are. Well, next up for the Commanders is a game at the Philadelphia Eagles this Sunday afternoon at 1. The 2-0 Eagles are at the 2-0 Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Monday Night Football at 7-15. So the Commanders will be playing the Eagles off a short week for them. So the Commanders defense, the Commanders defense on Sunday afternoon was not good. Uh, Yes, the Commanders offense was especially bad and basically gave the team no chance to win this game. But the Commanders defense did not play well. The Commanders allowed the Bills to average 5.94 yards per play and to go 9 of 15 on third downs. Now, the Commanders actually held Bills quarterback Josh Allen to just 20 of 32 passing for just 218 yards. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 6.81. And the Commanders intercepted Allen, but the Commanders did not register a single sack, totaled just one quarterback hit, and allowed Allen to have three carries for 46 yards and a touchdown. I mean, one quarterback hit the entire game. The Commanders on Sunday afternoon had one quarterback hit to the Bills' 15. Let that sink in. And the Commanders allowed Bills running back James Cook to Cook. He had 15 carries for 98 yards. That works out to a yards per carry of 6.8. Five, three. But this was Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon on Josh Allen having three carries for 46 yards and a touchdown. Yes, and, and again, it goes to, to um, rush discipline, being in our, being in our rush gaps. Um, you know, it's one of the things that we knew we had to do coming in that was contain him, keep him in the pocket. You know, I thought early on we were doing a great job in coverage, and, and unfortunately, because of that, uh, he was able to tuck the ball and, you know, avoid the pass rush. Yeah, there were some rough moments for the Commanders' defense on Sunday afternoon. The Bills' first offensive drive was the opening drive of the game, resulted in kicker Tyler Bass's first quarter 36-yard field goal. The Commanders on this drive gave up two big third-down plays. The third snap of the drive on a third and 10 for the Bills at their 25. The Commanders gave up a 13-yard shotgun scramble by Josh Allen. The sixth snap of the drive on a third and eight for the Bills at their 40. The Commanders gave up a 30-yard shotgun completion by Josh Allen to receiver at Maryland Product. 
Stephon Diggs on a broken play on which Allen was running to his right and being chased by edge defender Montez Sweat, who did register a quarterback hit, what proved to be the commander's lone quarterback hit of the game. The Bills' third offensive drive consisted of just one play, the lone snap of the drive on a first and 10 for the Bills at the Commanders' 35. The Commanders gave up a 35-yard shotgun play action touchdown bomb by Josh Allen to receiver Gabe Davis. The Bills' fourth offensive drive resulted in Tyler Bass's late second quarter 54-yard field goal. The sixth snap of the drive on a second and 12 for the Bills at their 11. The Commanders gave up a 23-yard shotgun scramble by Josh Allen. The ninth snap of the drive on a third and eight for the Bills at their 36. The Commanders gave up a 19-yard shotgun completion by Josh Allen to Stephon Diggs, who was wide open in the middle of the field. The 12th snap of the drive on a third and two for the Bills at the Commanders 37. The Commanders gave up a seven-yard shotgun handoff run by running back Damian Harris. The Bills' eighth offensive drive, the sixth snap of the drive on a fourth quarter, second and goal for the Bills at the 10. Josh Allen, a 10-yard shotgun touchdown scramble on which he ran right through an attempted arm tackle by safety Cameron Curl in the backfield. Cam knows better than that. You're not tackling Josh Allen with an arm tackle. He ran right through that, uh, did Allen, and are out to the end zone. Not a good game for the commander's defense. A few bright spots. The commanders did generate a takeaway. The Bills' sixth offensive drive, their first offensive drive in the second half. The seventh snap of the drive on a third quarter. Third and 20 for the Bills at their 40. Corner Kendall Fuller, a leaping interception of a deep shotgun pass by Josh Allen intended for Gabe Davis. A Fuller for the game had three pass defenses. Speaking of pass defenses, interior defensive lineman Deron Payne had a big pass defense. The Bills' seventh offensive drive, the sixth snap of the drive, the second snap of the fourth quarter on a fourth and one for the Bills at the Commander's 37. Deron batted the ball at the line of scrimmage for a pass defense on a shotgun incompletion by Josh Allen. And I thought that edge defender Chase Young made some plays, although they mostly came in the first half, but Chase made two big plays on that Bills' first offensive drive, which resulted in the Tyler Bass first quarter 36-yard field goal. Second snap of the drive on a second and 11 for the Bills at their 24. Chase tackled James Cook on a shotgun handoff run for one yard. The 10th snap of the drive in the play right before the field goal on a third and nine for the Bills at the Commander's 18. Chase blew through Bills' left tackle Deion Dawkins to generate pressure on Josh Allen on a shotgun throwaway. And Chase had a big tackle on the Bills' fourth offensive drive, which resulted in Tyler Bass's late second quarter 54-yard field goal. The 17th snap of the drive and the snap right before the first half two-minute warning on a third and 12 for the Bills at the Commander's 32. Chase tackled Stephon Diggs for a four-yard loss on a screen as uh, Diggs was initially slowed down by corner Emmanuel Forbes. But yeah, the Commander's defense nowhere near close to being good enough. I've said this, dominant defense in today's NFL basically doesn't happen. Uh, even good defenses give stuff up. And the Commanders on Sunday afternoon in facing a high-level quarterback in Josh Allen and a Super Bowl contending offense and that of the Bills certainly gave stuff up. Well, hopefully the Commanders next home game, which is against the Chicago Bears on Thursday night football on October 5th, will go better than this game against the Bills on Sunday afternoon when if you are looking for great deals on tickets to Commanders games, make sure that you download the GameTime app and use the promo code ALGALDI. 
When it comes to buying tickets for sports, music, comedy, and theater, the way to go is with the Game Time app. Game Time offers great deals on last-minute tickets and has a best price guarantee. So you no longer have to worry if you're truly going about getting tickets in the best possible way. The Game Time guarantee means that you'll always get the best price. And if you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. What's also great about Game Time is how easy it makes searching for tickets. You can search by team, venue, or artist. Uh, I was just on Game Time looking at tickets for Commander's Games in the 2023 regular season. A lot of good deals, and the seating chart next to the listed tickets made figuring out what exactly I'd be getting super easy. Game Time is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country. Game Time is the app for last minute ticket deals. You don't have to plan months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Game Time also offers flash deals on tickets, and tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email. Get the tickets without the stress with Game Time, which is offering a special deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Here's what to do download the Game Time app, create an account, and use this promo code. Al Galdi. You use that promo code Al Galdi, you get $20 off your first purchase. Uh, terms do apply, but download the Game Time app, create that account, and use the promo code Al Galdi for $20 off your first purchase. What time is it? It's Game Time. <laughs> download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Hey, fall is here, gentlemen. Soon, it'll be the holiday season. You've got a lot going on. Don't let all that's happening stop you from sticking to your habits and being the best version of yourself. This is where our friends at Caldera Lab come in. Caldera Lab, it is the best in the skincare game, and you with an easy routine via Caldera Lab can keep your face looking pretty no matter your schedule. Plus, what's a better gift than clear skin? Join the 100,000 men who trust Caldera Lab to show your best self and first impression this fall. Plus, Caldera Lab makes for a great gift. Look, if you're a guy and you're like me, you don't know much about skincare, but Caldera Lab makes skincare for guys easy. The Caldera Lab regimen includes three products, the Clean Slate, the Base Layer, and the Good. The Clean Slate is a face wash that starts and ends your day and leaves all skin types refreshed. The Base Layer is your daily moisturizer to hydrate your skin and jumpstart your day full of confidence. And the Good is your go-to multifunctional serum at night that helps your skin look tighter and smoother as well as helps reduce the visibility of wrinkles and fine lines. Every drop of this serum is packed with 3.4 million antioxidant units protecting your skin. One minute each morning and one minute each night. That's all that it takes to reduce your wrinkles, fine lines, and signs of aging. You'll be looking like a million bucks. And here's a special deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Go to calderalab.com. Caldera is spelled C-A-L-D-E-R-A. Calderalab.com. And use the promo code GALDI, G-A-L-D-I, my last name, GALDI, to get 20% off. That's calderalab.com, promo code GALDI for 20% off. Show your best self or make an unforgettable impression with a great gift. Calderalab.com, promo code GALDI for 20% off. That's calderalab.com, promo code GALDI for 20% off.
More now on the Commanders' 37-3 loss to the Buffalo Bills at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon to fall to 2-1 in the 2023 regular season. Let's talk about the Commanders' top two running backs. The biggest bright spot for the Commanders' offense on Sunday afternoon was running back Brian Robinson Jr. He had 10 carries for 70 yards. Uh, He was not targeted in the passing game, but when he ran the ball, he was effective. Uh, There was a lot of criticism of assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy for not calling more running plays in the first half. The commanders in the first half had 17 passing plays to just five running plays. Uh, You know me, uh, I'm a big proponent of the pass. Uh, I praised Eric for his pass-heavy approach to each of the commander's first two games of this regular season. I'm not going to be a phony and hammer him now for not calling more runs in the first half of this loss to the Bills, but it is true that Brian Robinson Jr. on Sunday afternoon, when called on, was effective. Uh, Robinson had a big run on the commander's sixth offensive drive, which resulted in quarterback Sam Howell's third quarter interception to Bills corner Tredavious White in the end zone. Eighth snap of the drive on a second and four for the commanders at their 47. Robinson had a great 23-yard shotgun read option run on which he displayed terrific patience and ran through contact. Uh, Robinson had two good runs on the commander's seventh offensive drive, which resulted in a third quarter punt, but the first snap of the drive on a first and 10 for the commanders at their 19. Robinson had a six-yard shotgun handoff run. The second snap of the drive on a second and four for the commanders at their 25. Robinson had a 13-yard shotgun read option run. Uh, Robinson had two nice runs on the commander's first offensive drive, which resulted in Sam Howell's first quarter interception to linebacker Terrell Bernard. But the first snap of the drive on a first and 10 for the commanders at their 27, Robinson had a seven-yard shotgun handoff run. The third snap of the drive on a first and 10 for the commanders at their 39, Robinson a five-yard shotgun handoff run. Uh, Now, Robinson did have a fail in pass protection. The Sam Howell second quarter, fourth and goal at the two under center play action throwaway. Uh, Robinson on that play got run right through by edge defender Greg Rousseau. And there also was this, and this is not on Robinson, but he had a 10-yard run on the final snap of the first half. The commander's fifth offensive drive, the lone snap of the drive, came on a first and 10 for the commanders at their 25, with 19 seconds left in the second quarter. Robinson had a 10-yard shotgun handoff run, and then the commanders allowed the first half to expire. What was the point of running an actual play right there? Like, why would you run an actual play and risk injury when you have no intention of trying to score? I did not get that at all. If you're not going to try to score, then have Sam Howell take a knee. If you are going to try to score, then throw deep and actually try to score. But running an actual play just to run out the clock, but also carrying the risk of injury made no sense to me. I don't know if that was on head coach Rod Rivera or on Eric Bieniemy, but whatever the case, explain that to me. If you're not going to try to score, then have Sam take a knee. If you are going to try to score, then throw deep and try to score. Running a play, an actual play, doesn't do anybody any good except for padding Brian Robinson Jr.'s rushing stats, I guess. Uh, And then there is running back Antonio Gibson. (laughs) You know, Antonio Gibson and I have a powerful bond. We have the same initials, AG. We are part of the AG crew, the AG clique. I am rooting 
for Antonio Gibson. I want him to do well. I was a big fan of the team taking him in the third round of the 2020 NFL draft out of Memphis. But AG, my fellow AG, (laughs) uh, this ain't happening right now. Gibson in this loss to the Bills, two carries for 17 yards, three receptions for seven yards, and a lost fumble on five targets. Yes, another fumble by Antonio Gibson, another lost fumble by Antonio Gibson. He in the 2016 win over the Arizona Cardinals in week one had the second quarter red zone lost fumble on a carry. And Gibson on Sunday afternoon on the commander's eighth offensive drive, the lone snap of the drive on an early fourth quarter, first and 10 for the commanders at their 37. Gibson, a lost fumble in spinning and trying to generate yardage after contact on a reception from minus two yards on a shotgun pass by Sam Howell, who got shoved to the ground by edge defender Shaq Lawson. Look, I appreciate and respect Gibson trying to gain yardage after contact, but clearly doing that at the expense of ball security is a no-no. Antonio Gibson last regular season only had one fumble, but he in the 2021 regular season had six fumbles. He in his 2020 rookie regular season had two fumbles, and he now in this 2023 regular season has two fumbles. And eight of his 11 fumbles in his NFL regular season career have been lost fumbles. Now, Gibson in this loss to the Bills did have a nice run. The Commanders' sixth offensive drive was the opening drive of the second half, resulted in Sam Howell's third quarter interception to Bills corner Tredavious White in the end zone. The ninth snap of the drive on a first and 10 for the Commanders at the Bills' 30. Gibson had a 13-yard shotgun handoff run. He has talent, but he also has an undeniable history of fumbling. Well, I am happy to say that my underdog fantasy higher-lower play for the Commanders for Sunday afternoon did hit. I took Sam Howell having higher than 12.5 rushing yards. He had one carry, but for 18 yards. Underdog fantasy is great, and it is offering a limited-time enhanced special offer to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a deposit match of up to $500 for all new customers who sign up with the promo code GALDI. My last name, G-A-L-D-I, GALDI. I, for this season, am making fantasy football picks for Commander's Games in terms of underdog fantasies, higher, lower totals. Uh, Underdog fantasy is great. It is the best and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Check out underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app. Underdog Fantasy offers pick'em games by which you can win up to 20 times on your money in one day and offers pick'em insurance, which gives you a little wiggle room if you're not as confident in an entry. Uh, And when it comes to season-long fantasy, Underdog Fantasy offers a zero-stress scenario of no waivers, no trades, even no lineup setting. We all know that playing fantasy sports can be ultra-time-consuming. Well, Underdog Fantasy removes the time consumption but keeps the fun and the potential to win money and take advantage of the free money. If you sign up now with the promo code GALDI, my last name, G-A-L-D-I, GALDI, Underdog Fantasy will double your first deposit with up to $500 in bonus cash when you make your first deposit of at least $10. So in other words, if you deposit $500, you get $500 for free. That's Underdog Fantasy promo code GALDI. Check out underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app and use the promo code GALDI. 
Must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and must be present in a state in which underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. And in Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, few things in life go together as well as pizza and an NFL game day. Make Little Caesars part of your NFL game day. Little Caesars is the official pizza sponsor of the NFL. Order online during Little Caesars Pizza Pizza pregame, which is one hour before NFL games. You can pick your favorite Little Caesars pizza. You can pick the toppings that you crave, kind of like picking players for your fantasy team, only with Little Caesars Pizza, you never lose. And Little Caesars offers convenient delivery as well as the in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour of the week. Little Caesars Pizza Pizza pregame. One hour before NFL games. Little Caesars Pizza Pizza. Well, the Orioles' elimination number, their magic number to clinch the American League East is down to three. The number is four in terms of winning the division outright, but the O's have the tiebreaker on the Tampa Bay Rays. So in actuality, the number is three. The O's of the weekend concluded a four-game split at the Cleveland Guardians. Thursday night, a 5-2 loss in a game in which the O's overcame a 2 nothing eighth-inning deficit. Friday night, a 9-8 loss in which the O's overcame a 7-6 ninth-inning deficit, but then blew an 8 8-7 ninth inning lead as each team scored two runs in the ninth inning. But then, just as the O's did the previous weekend, during which they concluded a four-game split against the Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, the O's won the final two games of this four-game series. Saturday evening, a 2-1 win. Sunday afternoon, a 5-1 win as the O's, Joe Angel, were back in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe, the win column and the Rays, they over the weekend lost two or three games at home 
to the Toronto Blue Jays. So the O's for this regular season now are an American League best 97 and 59, two and a half games ahead of the Rays for the best record in the American League and for first place in the American League East. The O's have their most wins in a regular season since 1997, and the O's have concluded a regular season in which they went 52 and 29 on the road. Best road record for the O's in a regular season since the St. Louis Browns became the Baltimore Orioles beginning with the 1954 season. This was O's manager Brandon Hyde during his postgame session with reporters on Sunday afternoon. To end this long stretch uh, with a 4-3 and three road trip, I don't think people understand how hard that, that tough that is and shows the toughness of our team and, and um, you know, to go 4-3 and three on this trip two tough places to play after playing all these games in a row. Just shows you a lot of the character of our club. Yes, it does. Uh, Are we starting to gain some clarity regarding the Orioles' playoff rotation? The two slam dunks are Kyle Bradish and Grayson Rodriguez. Presumably, four others are vying for two spots. Dean Kramer, John Means, Kyle Gibson, and Jack Flaherty. Flaherty right now is in the Orioles' bullpen. So to me, you take him out of the conversation. I had figured that Kramer was likely in the Orioles' playoff rotation, but we'll see. Uh, The Orioles' starting pitchers over the final three games of this four-game split at the Guardians were Dean Kramer, John Means, and Kyle Gibson. The 9-8 loss at the Guardians on Friday night, Dean Kramer was not good. He allowed six runs, three earned, and three into third innings. He gave up seven hits, three doubles, and four singles. He issued two walks. He recorded three strikeouts. He, over his three into third innings, threw a whopping 91 pitches, 59 strikes versus 32 balls. But then John Means and Kyle Gibson over the final two games of the four-game split at the Guardians were great. Uh, The 2-1 win at the Guardians on Saturday evening means in his third major league start back from Tommy John surgery was tremendous. He allowed one run in seven and a third innings. He threw six and two-thirds, no hit innings, before giving up a two-out solo homer by Andres Jimenez to right field in the bottom of the seventh to cut the Orioles' lead to 2-1. That was the only hit that Means gave up in the game. He had four strikeouts versus one walk. He also issued a hit by pitch, and he threw a ton of strikes, 96 pitches, 65 strikes versus 31 balls. John Means on Saturday evening looked like peak John Means. He looked like 2021 Cinco de Mayo John Means. Means in the Orioles 6-0 win at the Seattle Mariners on Cinco de Mayo 2021. May 5th, 2021, through a no-hitter. Uh, and then, in the 5-1 win at the Guardians on Sunday afternoon, Kyle Gibson was terrific. He allowed one run in seven innings. He gave up just five hits, two doubles, and three singles. He issued a walk and a hit by pitch. He recorded four strikeouts. He threw 95 pitches, 59 strikes versus 36 balls. Now, Kyle Gibson this season has been very up and down, so I would be cautious about starting him over Dean Kramer in the playoffs. But, John Means right now seems to be rising with a bullet regarding being part of the Orioles' postseason rotation. Now, the Orioles' bullpen, which has not been good lately overall, uh, the bullpen in this four-game split at the Guardians, really bad over the first two games, but then good over the final two games. The 5-2 loss at the Guardians on Thursday night, five Orioles relievers combined to allow three runs in three innings. The 9-8 loss at the Guardians on Friday night, six Orioles relievers combined to allow three runs in five innings. A few things on that. So Tyler Wells tossed two perfect innings. Tyler Wells is back. The O's on Friday afternoon announced having recalled Wells 
from AAA Norfolk, bringing him back to the majors for the first time since the O's on July 30th optioned Wells to AA Bowie. Remember, Tyler Wells, for a good chunk of this season, was the Orioles' best starting pitcher. He, for a good chunk of this regular season, it was number one among all qualified pitchers in the majors in whip. Uh, and Yanir Cano on Friday night, he blew the save chance. Uh, he allowed two runs in a third of an inning. He, in the bottom of the ninth, gave up a leadoff double by Andres Semenes to right field on a 1-2 pitch, issued a one-out intentional walk of Will Brennan, and then gave up a walk-off, one-out first pitch, two-run double by David Fry off the left center field wall for a 9-8 Orioles loss. But Orioles relievers over the final two games of this series combined for three and two-thirds perfect innings. The 2-1 win at the Guardians on Saturday evening. Two Orioles relievers, Yanir Cano and Sino Perez, combined for one and two-thirds perfect innings. And the 5-1 win at the Guardians on Sunday afternoon. Two Orioles relievers, Danny Coulomb and D.L. Hall, combined for two perfect innings. The Orioles' bullpen without its ace reliever, Felix Batista, who remains out with his right UCL injury, does remain in a very precarious place. And the Orioles' offense remains in a very strange place, at times great, but at times bad. And the O's in this four-game split at the Guardians really did not hit much beyond Game 2 of the series. Uh, The O's in their 9-8 loss at the Guardians on Friday night scored eight runs, totaled 10 hits, worked four walks, went four for 12 with runners in scoring position. The 10 hits were comprised of a triple, three doubles, and six singles. Okay, but the O's in their 2-1 win at the Guardians on Saturday evening scored just two runs. Now, the O's did total nine hits and did work five walks, but the nine hits were comprised of a double and eight singles. So the O's went two for eight with runners in scoring position. And the O's in their 5-1 win at the Guardians on Sunday afternoon scored five runs, totaled just seven hits, did work a whopping eight walks. Uh, the seven hits were made up of four doubles and three singles, but the O's went just three for 13 with runners in scoring position. Uh, the O's do remain without a key hitter in first baseman Ryan Mountcastle, who they this past Wednesday, September 20th, put on the 10-day injured list retroactive to September 17th due to left AC joint inflammation. Uh, Mountcastle has not played in a game since September 13th. Uh, No game for the O's on Monday, which is their first off day since September 7th. Uh, Next up for the O's, a two-game series against the Nationals at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Game one, Tuesday evening at 6.35. Kyle Bradish will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And game two, Wednesday evening at 6.35. Grayson Rodriguez will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And let's get to the Nats right now. Yes, the Nationals, uh, they over the weekend concluded losing three or four games to the major league leading Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park. Thursday night, a 10-3 loss. Friday night, a 9-6 loss. No game on Saturday due to the rain, so we then had a doubleheader on Sunday. Sunday afternoon, a 3-2 win, but Sunday evening, an 8-5 loss. So the Nats now are just 8-19 and over their last 27 games. The Nats for this regular season are 69 and 88. And the Nats are done with the home portion of their 2023 regular season. The Nats this regular season went 34 and 47 at home. Let's highlight some of the bright spots for the Nats in this four-game series at the Braves. Lane Thomas, uh, he in the 8-5 loss on Sunday evening. And game two of the doubleheader uh, was the Nats starting right fielder and number two batter. He went two for five with a solo homer, a single, and a stolen base. 
Thomas, in an at's three-run third, had a two-out first pitch, opposite field single to right field, and a steal of second base, making him the first Nats player to have at least 20 home runs and at least 20 stolen bases in a regular season since Bryce Harper in 2016. Yeah, first 2020 season for a Nats player since Bryce 70 years ago, and Thomas, in an at's one-run ninth, had a one-out solo home run to left field to cut the Nats deficit to 8-5. Link Thomas is putting the finishing touches on a very nice 2023 season. He, for this regular season, is number one on the Nats in home runs with 27 and is number one among all qualified Nats players in OPS at 791. Luis Garcia, he in the 8-5 loss on Sunday evening as the Nats starting second baseman and number five batter went three for five with a solo homer, an RBI single, and another single. All three hits were to the opposite field. Garcia in the Nats three-run third had a two-out opposite field RBI single to left field for a 3-0 Nats lead. Garcia in the Nats one-run six had a one-out opposite field solo home run to left field to cut the Nats deficit to 6-4. Luis Garcia had a nice series. He over the four games in the series went eight for 18 with a home run, a double, and six singles. Uh, Also, Jackson Rutledge, he and the 3-2 win over the Braves on Sunday afternoon in game one of the doubleheader, allowed one run in five innings. He and just his Third career major league regular season start allowed one run in five innings against uh, this historically great offense in that of the Braves. He gave up just three hits, a double, and two singles. He issued two walks. He recorded four strikeouts. He threw 86 pitches, 52 strikes versus 34 balls. The Nats on September 13th announced that they had recalled Rutledge from AAA Rochester. He, in the 7-6 loss at the Pittsburgh Pirates that evening, made his Major League regular season debut. It did not go well. He allowed seven runs in three and two-thirds innings. But he, in his next start, the 4-3 win over the Chicago White Sox at Nationals Park this past Tuesday night, September 19th, allowed two runs in six and a third innings. And now we have what he did in this start against the Mighty Braves on Sunday afternoon. So good stuff from Jackson Rutledge. Uh, the Nats' other outings from starting pitchers over the final three games of this four-game series against the Braves were not good. Uh, the 8-5 loss on Sunday evening in Game 2 of the doubleheader, Yoan Adone allowed four runs in four and two-thirds innings. He gave up five hits, a two-run homer, three doubles, and a single. He issued four walks and a wild pitch. He did record five strikeouts, but he over his four and two-thirds innings threw 88 pitches, 56 strikes, versus 32 balls. And the 9-6 loss on Friday night, Patrick Corbin allowed five runs in four and a third innings. He gave up five hits, two home runs, a double, and two singles. He issued a walk. He recorded a mere one strikeout. Uh, He threw 68 pitches, 40 strikes, versus 28 balls. But regarding the two home runs, they came in the top of the first. Corbin in the top of the first allowed three runs on two homers. He gave up a leadoff full count home run by Ronald Acuna Jr. to left field, despite him having been down in the count at 1.02. That home run was Acuna's 40th home run of this regular season, making him the first major league player to have at least 40 home runs and at least 40 stolen bases in a regular season since the Nats' Alfonso Soriano in 2006. Yeah, there had not been a 40-40 season 
by an MLB player since Soriano's in 2006. And Corbin gave up a two-run home run by Austin Riley on a moonshot <laughs> to left field on an 0-2 pitch for a 3-0 Braves lead. That homer went a projected 434 feet per stat cast. Speaking of home runs, uh, the Nats closer, Kyle Finnegan, he had the 3-2 win on Sunday afternoon in game one of the doubleheader, allowed a run in the top of the ninth. Did get the save, but Finnegan in that top of the ninth gave up a two-out first pitch, broken bat solo homer by Sean Murphy to left center field to cut the Nats lead to 3-2. Kyle Finnegan is not ending his season strong. He has done some really good stuff this season, but Finnegan now has allowed at least one earned run in nine of his last 14 appearances. Uh, also, the 9-6 loss on Friday night, reliever Joe Sorsa tossed two perfect innings with two strikeouts. But what's notable about that is we, during the game, <laughs> found out that the Nats earlier in the day had recalled Sorsa from AAA Rochester and had placed starting pitcher Jake Irvin on the 15-day injured list with right ankle tendonitis ending his season. Uh, the Nats did not announce these moves prior to the game. The Nats apparently forgot to, to, to announce these moves. That was odd. But yeah, Jake Irvin's season is done. Uh, also with the Nats on Friday, the retirement of reliever Sean Doolittle. Uh, yes, the man known as Do is done. Uh, Nats reliever Sean Doolittle on Friday morning via social media announced his retirement and then the team that evening held a retirement press conference for Doolittle. Uh, Sean Doolittle this season, what was his age 36 season, was attempting to make it back to the majors off a left elbow injury that led to him in July 2022 undergoing an internal brace procedure as opposed to Tommy John surgery to repair a tear in his left UCL. Then we this past June learned that Doolittle had a right knee injury, which he at this retirement presser on Friday evening revealed was a torn patella tendon in his right knee. So not your basic, oh, by the way, right knee injury. Uh, Doolittle was in the midst of a second stint with the Nats. Uh, the Nats on March 16th, 2022 announced that they had agreed on a contract with Doolittle as a free agent. The contract was a one-year, $1.5 million deal and was a major league contract Doolittle in the 2022 regular season totaled just six games, but he over those six games was really good. He tossed five and a third scoreless and walkless innings with six strikeouts. He retired 16 of the 17 batters he faced in what ended up being his final major league regular season innings. Uh, then the Nats this past November 6th announced that they had agreed to re-sign Doolittle to a minor league contract with an invite to 2023 major league spring training, but he this season never did make it back to the majors. Uh, Sean Doolittle is one of the best relievers for the Nats since the franchise moved to Washington, D.C. in the 2004 2005 offseason. He over two stints with the Nats in 148 regular season innings, had an ERA of 292 and a whip of 1.007. He was terrific in the postseason for the Nats. Doolittle over two postseasons with the Nats, the 2017 and 2019 postseasons, allowed two earned runs in 13 and a third innings with 12 strikeouts versus one walk. He and Daniel Hudson were the only two relievers who you could trust on the 2019 World Series winning Nationals. Uh, is that the best reliever for the Nats since the franchise came here? Uh, that honor to me goes to Tyler Clippard, whose volume of work with the Nats was much larger than Doolittle's. Uh, Clippard pitched for the Nats from 2008 through 2014 and then briefly in 2022. 
He over his two stints with the Nats in 469 regular season innings, had an ERA at 272 and a whip of 1.058. But a salute to Sean Doolittle, who had a very nice career and will always be fondly remembered by Nats fans. And time now to talk college football week four, a week that included Maryland for the first time in three weeks, getting off to a great start. Uh, the Terrapins had won each of their previous two games in blowout fashion, despite having been down 14 nothing in the first quarter of each game. No such problem this past Saturday. The Terps improved to 4-0 overall and 1-0 in the Big Ten with a 31-9 win at Michigan State on Saturday. Maryland now has a six-game winning streak for the first time since a six-game winning streak that started in the 2003 season and ended in the 2004 season a long time ago. Uh, the Terps on Saturday led in the second quarter 21 nothing. So there was no 14 nothing first quarter deficit this time. What's funny is that Maryland was not exactly at its best in this game. The Terps got outgained by Michigan State 376 to 362 and yet won the game by 22 points. A big reason why the Terps won the turnover battle 5-1. Uh, but Terps quarterback Talia Tungavailoa, he had an uneven game. Uh, Talia completed just 21 of his 36 pass attempts. That works out to a completion percentage of just 58.33. And he over his 36 pass attempts, threw for just 223 yards. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 6.19. But Talia had three touchdown passes versus one interception, had five carries for 37 yards and a touchdown, and took no sacks. Uh, the Terps' rushing offense was good. No individual Terp had a big game in terms of rushing, but the Terps as a team totaled 31 carries for 139 yards and a touchdown. And the Terps' defense was good. The Terps held Michigan State to just nine points and generated three interceptions, two forced fumbles, one of which the Terps recovered, and three sacks. Also, the Terps had a great goal line stand in the first quarter as a 15-play, 77-yard Michigan State drive that consumed 7 minutes, 40 seconds off the clock, resulted in a turnover on downs on a late first quarter, fourth and goal at the one. Uh, the Terps did allow Michigan State running back Nate Carter to have 19 carries for 97 yards. But this was Terps head coach Mike Loxley during his postgame press conference on Saturday evening. First of all, really proud of this team. Um, proud of the way they responded uh, to to the coaching. You know, we've talked a lot the last couple of weeks about starting fast, and uh, we were able to do that today. You know, anytime you're able to win on the road in the Big Ten, uh, that's huge. And so for us to be able to come up here and do something, I think that hasn't been done since 1950, which is to win here in this stadium. Definitely proud of the team. Happy to be 4-0. Um, we talked all week long and for the last couple of weeks about getting off to a fast start, and that's what we were able to do. Defense up, came up big early on with the turnovers. We were able to convert those to scores. Um, anytime you come up with turnovers like we did today, it, it really helps you on the offensive side of the ball. The best part about this is that we that, that locker room is still disappointed a little bit that we didn't finish the way we like to, and there's some things that we can get cleaned up and as I said before, it's always great to clean it up with a win and, you know, got to give credit to uh, the players in terms of how they responded and uh, did the things necessary. Um, we're back in the shell next week against Indiana. You know, I hope our fans show up for these kids. They, they've earned the right to have you guys there to support them. And our student section has done their part. And now we've, everybody's got a part to do in there. And 
I know we're excited with the opportunity to go 5-0 and at home in the shell, and uh, the players are excited about that as well. And Terps fans should be excited. This is a good team. Next up for Maryland, home to Indiana this Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Virginia Tech, it fell to 1-3 and with a 24-17 loss at Marshall on Saturday afternoon. This loss gives the Hokies at least three non-conference losses in a season for the first time since 1992. The Hokies last season had their first seven-game losing streak since 1951. Now the Hokies this season have at least three non-conference losses in a season for the first time since 1992. Things are not going well for Tech with Brent Pry as head coach. Pry on Saturday afternoon went with Baylor transfer Kyron Drones as a team starting quarterback for a second consecutive game as the Hokies a QB1. Grant Wells, who transferred to Tech from Marshall, is dealing with an ankle injury. Drones was not good as a passer, was good as a runner. Drones completed just 19 of his 35 pass attempts. That works out to a completion percentage of just 54.29. He over his 35 pass attempts, threw for just 160 yards. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 4.57. He had no touchdown passes, but also no interceptions, but he took four sacks and he quarterbacked a Hokies offense that went just to two of 13 on third downs. However, if you take out the sacks, Drones had 11 carries for 102 yards and two touchdowns. A first quarter, first and 10, 31-yard shotgun touchdown run, and a fourth quarter, first and 10, 16-yard shotgun play-action touchdown scramble. Uh, However, (laughs) he also had a second quarter loss fumble. A bright spot for the Hokies, their rushing offense was very good for the first time in four games this season. Tech totaled 26 carries for 211 yards and two touchdowns when you don't count the four sacks of Kyron Drones running back in North Carolina A&T transfer. Bashal Tootin had nine carries for 88 yards. A Hokies receiver and Middle Tennessee State transfer Jalen Lane was back. He returned from a one-game absence caused by a hamstring injury that he suffered in Tech's 24-17 loss to Purdue at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg, Virginia on September 9th. He had one reception for one yard uh, and had two carries for 11 yards. The Hokies remained without receiver and Old Dominion transfer Ali Jennings, who suffered an injury in that loss to Purdue. Tech's defense in this loss at Marshall was good against the pass, but bad against the run. Now, Tech held Marshall quarterback Camp Fancher to just 16-27 to passing for just 166 yards, a touchdown, and two interceptions. Fancher averaged just 6.15 yards per pass attempt, but Tech's defense was bad against the run for a fourth time in as many games this season. Tech allowed Marshall running back Rasheen Ali to have 27 carries for 174 yards and two touchdowns, including a second quarter, third and two, 56-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run. Tech's run defense so far this season has been really bad. Uh, And Tech for this game did get back a key defensive player, linebacker Alan Tisdale. He was back from a one-game absence caused by injury. Tech also had safety Jalen Stroman, who got hurt in Tech's 35-16 loss at Rutgers on September 15th. Although, still out for Tech uh, was safety Nasir Peoples, who missed a third consecutive game due to injury. Next up for Virginia Tech, home to Pitt this Saturday night at 8. That game will be the Hokies' ACC opener. Virginia played its ACC opener this past Friday night. Uh, the result was a loss. Uh, the Cavaliers fell to 0-4 overall and 0-1 in the ACC with a 24-21 loss to NC State at Scott Stadium in Charlottesville, Virginia on Friday night. The Cavs are 0-4 to begin a season for the first time since 1982. And how about how this game ended? 
NC State kicker Braden Darvison made a game-winning 33-yard field goal with time having expired in the fourth quarter. But how we got there was something, as the Cavs committed three boneheaded penalties late in the game. Cavs quarterback Anthony Calandria connected on a third-and-goal three-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Malik Washington with 36 seconds left in the fourth quarter to cut the Cavs' deficit to 21-19. However, guard Ty Furnish after the play committed an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. However, Calandria then connected with receiver Malachi Fields for an 18-yard shotgun two-point conversion play on a broken play on which Calandria made the pass off running to his right and Fields caught a 50-50 ball in the end zone. However, Calandria, after that play, received a 15-yard unsportsmanlike conduct penalty for removing his helmet. The ensuing kickoff happened from the UVA 20 as opposed to the UVA 35, and NC State receiver and kickoff returner Julian Gray generated a 35-yard return. On Friday's show, episode 662 during Goldilocks talked about Gray being dangerous on kickoff returns. Now, the NC State offensive drive led to a 48-yard field goal attempt by Braden Norvison that was blocked, but the person who blocked the kick, Cavs linebacker James Jackson, received a 15-yard personal foul penalty for jumping over NC State's long snapper, and then Norvison connected on the game-winning 33-yard field goal with time having expired in the fourth quarter. The Cavs late in this game were an undisciplined mess. This was Cavs head coach Tony Elliott during his post-game press conference on Friday night on the three costly penalties late in the game. You know, uh, it, it's hard to see. Uh, you know, I was told that uh, one of our guys retaliated and they're always going to see the second guy. And then uh, the helmet came off and to them, it looked like the player took the helmet off on the field. And uh, then we, we hit the snapper. And the rule in college football is you can't jump over the snapper. You can't touch the snapper. And, you know, they got to throw the flag. Right, so I, I don't fault the, uh, the officials at all. You know, we gotta. You know, we, as I tell them, we gotta win and lose with class. You know, we're 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 in the we're in the final moments of the game. That's when we gotta be at our sharpest, right? And uh, we just didn't have the discipline uh, down the stretch to uh, to win the football game. No, you did not. Uh, I mentioned Anthony Calandria. Tony Elliott did go with the true freshman, Anthony Calandria, as the Cavs starting quarterback for a third consecutive game as a team starting quarterback to begin the season. Monmouth transfer Tony Muscat remained out due to an injured left shoulder that he suffered in the Cavs season opening 49-13 loss to then number 12 Tennessee at Nissan Stadium in Nashville on September 2nd. Calandria on Friday night had a mixed game. On the one hand, Calandria had two touchdown passes, registered a yards per pass attempt of 9.03 and a yards per completion of 15 0.06 and was effective as a runner as he had 11 carries for 56 yards when you do not include the two sacks that he took. But on the other hand, Calandria threw two more fourth quarter interceptions, giving him six fourth quarter turnovers, including five fourth quarter interceptions over the last two games. Uh, and Calandria completed just 18 of his 30 pass attempts. Still, I think that the Cavs have something in Anthony Calandria. It's hard to tell whether Tony Musket is truly not playing due to injury or if he's actually ready to play and Tony Elliott is just wanting to see more of Calandria. But there is a big play nature to Calandria that's impossible to deny. He's a true freshman. Given how bad the Cavs are, I would go with Calandria and hope that he develops as the season goes on. And then maybe next season, UVA has itself a quality quarterback. Although, in fairness to Musket, 
we've barely seen him <laughs> this season. So who knows how good he would be? Uh, big game on Friday night for Cam's receiver and Northwestern transfer Malik Washington. He had a second consecutive big game. He finished with 10 receptions for 170 yards and two touchdowns on 14 targets and had one carry for eight yards. 107 of his 170 receiving yards were yak yards after catch. Uh, but the Wahoos running game was not good. Who's running backs Mike Hollins, Kobe Pace, and Paris Jones combined for 26 carries for just 63 yards. That works out to a yards per carry of just 2.42. The Who's defense, though, did play well. The Who's held NC State quarterback and Virginia transfer Brendan Armstrong uh, to just 15 of 30 passing and to just 180 passing yards. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just six. Armstrong had two touchdown passes versus one interception. But the Who's held NC State to just 4.76 yards per play. And if you take out just one play, Brendan Armstrong's late third quarter, first and 10, 48-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Kevin Casey Concepcion. Uh, the Who's held NC State to just 4.11 yards per play. Next up for Virginia at Boston College this Saturday afternoon at 2. More great offense from Liberty. The Flames, they improved to 4-0 overall and 2-0 in Conference USA with a 38-6 win at Florida International University, FIU, on Saturday evening. The Flames generated 520 total net yards of offense, averaged exactly eight yards per play. Uh, Liberty was dominant on the ground. The Flames, as a team, totaled 44 carries for 364 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, so far, so very good for Liberty in its first season with Jamie Chadwell as head coach. Next up for Liberty, home to Sam Houston, but not until Thursday night, October 5th, at seven. Uh, that is the same Thursday night on which the Commanders are home to the Chicago Bears. Well, Liberty had a great offensive showing on Saturday evening, and so did James Madison. The Dukes, uh, they improved a 4-0 overall with a 45-38 win at Utah State on Saturday evening. Now, JMU did blow a 24-0 second quarter lead. Utah State tied the game at 38 in the fourth quarter, but JMU quarterback Jordan McLeod then connected on a second and 10, 74-yard touchdown pass to receiver Reggie Brown with 5.52 left in the fourth quarter. McLeod, 23-34 for 364 yards, four touchdowns, and two interceptions. Also had a fourth quarter loss fumble, but he also had two rushing touchdowns, so he accounted for six touchdowns. The Dukes actually had two fourth quarter loss fumbles. The Dukes won this game despite allowing Utah State to generate 500 total net yards of offense, but the Dukes put up 512 total net yards of offense. A wild game for head coach Kurt Signetti and his JMU Dukes, but a win uh, next up for James Madison, home to South Alabama this Saturday at noon. And speaking of winning, despite the win uh, not exactly being pretty, uh, we on Saturday afternoon had homecoming for Old Dominion. The Monarchs won, but barely. They improved to 2-2 two and two overall with a 10-9 win over Texas A&M University Commerce at S.B. Ballard Stadium in Norfolk, Virginia. The game was scoreless at the half. Uh, ODU head coach Ricky Ronnie in the second quarter benched starting quarterback Grant Wilson, who went just 5 of 11 for 70 yards, no touchdowns, and three interceptions, and took two sacks. Uh, ODU's QB2, Jack Shields, he came in and went 14 to 20 for 258 yards, a touchdown, and no interceptions, although he did take six sacks, including a sack strip 
that resulted in a lost fumble. This game was ugly, uh, but ODU did get the win. Next up for Old Dominion at Marshall this Saturday afternoon at 3.30. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 664. We'll have plenty for you on the Commanders. As we on Monday expect to have the day after the game press conference of head coach Rod Rivera off his team falling to 2-1 and one in the 2023 regular season with this uh, 37-3 loss to the Buffalo Bills at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. A lot of things didn't go right today, and it, and it starts with me. Um, but, you know, the good thing is the, the sun will come up tomorrow.